0: Ephesians 6 in your Bibles, we're going over the armor of God one piece at a time. And if you found that, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, we're going to begin in verse 10 and we'll read down through verse number 15. And as is our custom, we'll read responsively. I'll begin in 10 and we'll, be, we'll, we'll read together beginning in verse 11 and then we'll continue that pattern down through verse 15. The Bible says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Together, verse 11, here we go. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, we've looked at the first two parts of the armor of God already. We're going to turn our attention to the third one mentioned here in verse 15. We're going to talk about gospel shoes of peace. Gospel shoes of peace. Are you preparing your feet with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that it is still relevant to our living all these years later. Lord, many religions are dead or dying, and many religions offer a dead version of the Bible. But Lord, the Bible is alive. The Bible is quick and powerful. It's sharp enough to uh, divide asunder the the truth from the error uh, that lies within us. So Lord, this morning, help our heart and mind and energy to be focused in on what you'd have for us individually. Uh, Lord God, you know that I, I don't know every problem in this room. And Lord, I can't address every problem in this room, uh, every hurt in this room, every struggle in this room. But Spirit of God, through the message this morning, you can move in hearts and you can make it, make the message personal to each one. So we pray you do that. And Lord, if there's someone here today that's yet to become a believer in you, that's yet to put their full faith in you to, to go to heaven, We pray today would be the day that would be accomplished. Lord, be with us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we began the series by uh, talking about the importance of standing for what's right. And we said that uh, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And you, you must learn how to stand for Jesus. Standing for Jesus is a theme of our church this calendar year. And uh, we've talked about how wicked our world is getting. I had a church member stop by my office this morning and said, is it talking about in 1 Timothy, talking about the day we live in, when it talks about all of the uh, folks, the list there, of folks who are disobedient, lovers of pleasure more than lo- lovers of God, is that talking about the day and age in which we live? And I told that member, I said, I believe that's exactly uh, what it's referring to. I believe we live in that day. Uh, the world is growing morally Dark. We're getting further and further away from what's right and closer and closer to the day that Jesus will return and take us out of here. And I look forward to that day. Uh, now, as the world grows darker, your light, Christian, ought to shine brighter and brighter. And let me just say, the brighter your light shines, the bigger target you have on your back for Satan to try to dim that light and take out that light. To the teenagers here, you go to school and you stand for what's right, there's a target on your back. To the employees here, you go to work and you try to stand for what's right, you put a target on your back. You put gospel tracts in your pocket and you pass those out at a restaurant or at the grocery store or anywhere you're out in public, you put a target on your back and your light shines bright and boy, there's a contrast for the way a Christian is supposed to live and the way the world expects you to live. And as we stand for what's right, we need to make sure each and every day we are strapping on every piece of Of the armor of God, and we're ready to go and do spiritual war. Ephesians 6 tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, verse 12 tells us, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. If you woke up tomorrow morning and there was an air raid going on outside, and there were bombs uh, being dropped, and there were bullets being fired, and there was a war being fought right outside your window, boy, that would be terrifying. It would be scary. It would be uh, it would it would be uh, traumatic in a lot of ways. And my friend, whether or not actual bombs falling, there are spiritual bombs falling around us. There are spiritual bullets flying around our spiritual heads. There are spiritual swords being swung, and Satan is busy firing his darts at the Christian, trying to dim our light, trying to take out our testimony, trying to hurt us, and trying to pull down our character and ultimately our reputation. For this, we must make sure that each and every day and several times a day, we're not only putting on the armor of God, but we're strapping it down and tightening it up and making sure that we're ready uh, to handle whatever Satan would throw our direction. So we began uh, a handful of weeks ago by, I believe it was uh, the second week of our fall program, we talked about having your loins girt about with truth. We talked about wearing the belt of truth and how Satan wants to attack the Christian, and he'll attack the Christian by sowing error into his truth. And it's important, Christian, you know right from wrong. And you know not only what it is in your head, you, uh, you know it down in your heart. And you believe in it. And you're uh, aware of what Satan does wrong. You know, we've talked about before, many times the illustrations illustration has been used, the way a banker knows the real uh, thing is he handles it. And when he's handled enough of the real money, he gets a counterfeit in his hand. And immediately, if he's good, he knows or she knows when she is handling a fake Bill, and Christian, the way to know error is not by studying error, not by memorizing and learning all of the different error that's out there. Get to know your Bible. Amen? Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Learn it. Learn its doctrines. Learn its truths. We'll talk about that more in a moment. Do not let Satan mix error into your truth or else you're not wearing the belt of truth. Then we uh, moved and we turned our attention to the breast plate of righteousness. And we talked about this uh, two Sundays ago. We talked about having, uh, making sure that your heart is protected with righteousness. Remember, we said that what I see and what I hear affects who I am inside. And I need to make sure I'm looking at and listening to looking at and listening to the right things otherwise um, who I am on the inside will become corrupt and uh, evil and sin and unrighteousness will take over we said that righteousness is uh, right standing with God it's being able to walk in the presence of God and know that I am right with him and he is right with me and all is well between me and the father and I said many Christians don't pray because they feel as though they're in trouble when they walk in the presence of God, because sin that is active in their heart and life. We must every day put on the breastplate of righteousness. We must protect our heart by making sure each and every day we are right with God. Now we turn our attention to the our feet. The gospel shoes of peace. There's a famous violinist who um, passed away in 1962. His name was Fritz Kreisler. And he earned a fortune uh, with his concerts and musical compositions uh, that he had put together. But he was a generous man and he gave most all of it away. Well, one day in his travels, he discovered an exquisite violin and he wanted to buy it. But because he had given so much of his money away, he was not able to offer up the asking price. So he went out and performed a, a few concerts and uh, raised the money specifically to buy uh, this exquisite, rare, valuable, beautiful uh, violin. But when he returned back to the buyer, he was disappointed to find out that it had been sold to a collector. So he made his way to the collector and he pleaded and he begged with the collector. Uh, to be able to buy that violin. He wanted that violin and he wanted to be able to play that violin. And the thought of that violin being sentenced to death in the hand of a collector, never to be played again, just crushed him. Disappointedly, he realized that this collector was not going to part with it because for this collector, it was his prized possession. Mr. Kreisler had an idea. He said to the man with his head hanging low and his shoulders stooped, he said, before I leave uh, here, could I play the instrument once more before it is consigned to silence? And uh, permission was granted. And the great virtuoso picked up that violin and tightened the strings and took the bow. And boy, he played that violin like it most likely had never been played before. The room was filled with heart-moving, heart-stirring music. And the collector's emotions were... Deeply stirred, uh, Mister Kreisler set the violin down and uh, put it back in its case and began to walk out the door. And the collector stopped him. And here's what he said: He said, "Sir, I have no right to keep that to myself." He exclaimed, "It's yours, Mister Kreisler. I'll sell it to you. Take it into the world, and let people hear all about it." I want to ask you a question this morning, Christian. Is the gospel message a collector's item that you're keeping to yourself? Or are you active in sharing its beautiful salvation music with the world around you? You see, it's easy to show up in church on a Sunday morning with other believers and sing there is power in the blood. and Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? It's a little bit more complicated to go up to people who don't believe like you, and ask them, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? It's important that our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let's not let the gospel truth die in antiquity. Let's not let it lie dormant in our heart. And let's, not, uh, let's make sure that we are sharing with others the beautiful music of the story of salvation. I believe that many Christians today walk around vulnerable to Satan's attacks. They allow the devil to amputate the externals of their spiritual body and render the work uh, uh, that should be done by the Christian, entirely ineffective. Uh, look back with me there at verse 15. Ephesians 6.15. Notice that God's Word... Uh, God. Uh, notice that God words the verse this way. He says there in the middle of the verse, the preparation. Notice that word preparation. The preparation of the Gospel of peace. Until we prepare ourselves with the Gospel. We stand no... Chance of having our feet protected. We have to prepare ourselves with the gospel. Well, what does that mean? To prepare ourselves. 1 Peter 3.15 says this. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I know this. When uh, people walk up, To me, And they uh, have noticed that my lifestyle is just a little bit different. They want to talk to me about it. And they have questions about what makes you different. How come you seem to be happy through the struggles of life? Why is it that uh, you, you seem to handle difficulty so well? And Christian, I hope that you've grown enough in the Lord to see His hand at work. And you know how to handle difficulty well. But if someone were to approach you and says, hey, what sets you apart? Hey, you're different than all the other kids in this high school. You're different than all the other kids in this college. You're different than all the other people in this factory or in this office. You're different than all the other neighbors in the neighborhood. Hey, how come it is that you're different? What's so different about you that you get a big smile on your face and you're able to open up the Bible and you're able to share with them the gospel message and lead them to a point of salvation? I just want to ask you this question by way of introduction this morning. If someone were to ask you, how do I get to heaven from right here where I'm standing, would you know how to take the Bible and show them how to get there? Would you know how to do it? If someone wanted you to articulate to them how they could be saved, would you be able to tell them what to do? Rather, how, who, in, who, in who they need to believe? Would you be able to tell them the way of salvation? You see, I have learned in my uh, many years of life in church ministry that the world is screaming for answers and many Christians are left stuttering. Left stuttering. We don't know what to say. I heard uh, someone say one time, they said, "Proper. Uh, let's see, poor, uh, poor preparation creates poor performance. Poor preparation creates poor performance. If you're not prepared to succeed, you won't succeed. You know, I I get up here on Sunday morning, and I have spent hours putting a sermon together. If I didn't, you'd know it, right? You get a bulletin there, and you look at the back and say, man, it's blank today. Pastor must not have, you know, thought through a a message. And uh, then I get up here, and I have you turn to a verse, and I just ramble on about nothing for 30 minutes, and stumble and bumble my way through the message, and... Then I pray and close down the service and you guys get in the car and and you look at each other and you think, well, I don't think he was prepared this week. Uh, Listen, I can can say this out of a a clear conscience. I have never gotten in this pulpit to preach unprepared. I've been prepared every time I've gotten up here. Now, it hasn't always come across as well as I would have liked it, but I've been prepared. And you know what? Preparation is something that's done intentionally. I have to at, at points in the week. Close my office door and put my phone on silence or in do not disturb mode, and I have to get out uh, my Bible and I have to read it and read it and read it and pray and pray and pray and study and study and study and, 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 and meditate and meditate, and let those truths ruminate in my heart and my head and uh, listen uh, you don 't get up and preach a gospel message without great preparation, and many Christians are not able to share the gospel with others because they've never taken the time to prepare to do so. The Bible says in verse 15, it says, The preparation of the gospel of peace. Are we properly preparing? This morning, I'd like to share with you four very basic truths about the shoes of peace. If you have a bulletin, fill out the outline, if you will, as we go. If you would, as we go, notice number one. Notice our foundation. Our foundation. Look back at verse number 15 of Ephesians 6 there. It says, "In your feet shod with the preparation of the, notice that next word, gospel of peace. Gospel of peace. Now the root word here for gospel is the word euangelion, which is our word evangelize. Evangelize. So uh, again, And your feet shod with the preparation of the, e- e- the evangelizing of peace. Now, the word gospel in the English language. How many of you in here know what the word gospel means? Say it with me. Good news. It means good news. Um, isn't it awesome when someone comes up to you and says, Hey, 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 i got to tell you something. I've got good news. I got a call from my little brother this week. I'm the oldest of seven uh, children. The, young, the two youngest in my family are twins. And one of them is married. His name is David he and his wife have been married for about two years now. David, um, David called me this week to let me know that they're going to have a baby. That was good news. Amen? I was excited about that. And um, uh, Matthew called me uh, this week uh, from Peru to tell me that he had made a good grade on a test. That was good news. That, I should have started with that one because that was anticlimactic. Amen? Um, uh, but, um, Uh, uh, But good news. Don't you like it when you hear good news with someone that you love, someone that you care about? Don't you like sharing good news? And the greatest news we can share is the Lord Jesus Christ, that He was born, that He lived a sinless life, that He died on the cross, and that He raised from the dead. Take your Bibles with me, if you would, over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10. Now a lot of times good news uh, has no effect on my life one way or the other. Um uh, someone will call me and tell me something and boy I rejoice with them, I'm happy with them, but in my day-to-day life it doesn't really affect much of what I do. The awesome part about the good news of Jesus Christ is that it is meant to radically alter and affect our lives for the good. Don't you remember the day that you got saved? Amen. Boy, if you truly got saved, I'm not talking about lip service salvation where we say a prayer with our lips but it's not sincere in the heart. I mean the day you open up your heart and by faith you gave your heart to Jesus. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about being a good person. I'm not talking about holding to a religious denomination. I'm talking about that day, that day, that moment you can reflect back on where you came to a realization that you were a lost sinner, bound for hell, and that you were in need of a savior, and you turned to Jesus and you called on him and said, Lord Jesus, I believe in you to get to heaven. Boy, that day that you got saved. Wasn't that a great day? Aren't you aren't you thankful that Jesus saved your soul? Boy, the good news of the gospel did not just put a smile on my face for a moment. Boy, the the gospel of Jesus Christ has radically changed the very essence of who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm sad to say that many people get saved or many people give lip service to being saved and nothing really changes. You know why? Because they weren't made a new creature. I want to be clear here. Praying a prayer takes nobody to heaven. It's not the act of repeating words that saves anyone. Was there that moment in your life where you called on the Lord as your only way to heaven? Jesus told Thomas, He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father or gets into heaven where the Father is but by Me. You want to get into heaven? That's the only way. And to use a cheap illustration, imagine you had your heart set on going to some major big public event, whether it was a sporting venue or some concert, and you really wanted to get in, but every ticket was sold out, and then you went on StubHub to buy a ticket, and they were way out of your price range, and there was no hope of you getting into that event, and then you met someone who had VIP access, they were the only person that had VIP access. And they said, if you want to come in, you have to walk into that concert or that sporting event with me. You either come in with me or you don't get in. Heaven is the greatest event that will ever take place. And there are no tickets for sale because we've stymied ourselves. We've disqualified ourselves by sin. But there's a VIP that can get you in. His name is Jesus Christ. He came to earth. He paid the price for your sin on the cross. He died in your place. He suffered hell for you on the cross. He dipped His soul in hell, the Bible tells us. He rose again from the dead, defeating death, hell, and the grave. He holds the keys to eternal life. And He looks at you and says, if you'll come with Me and believe with Me, when you die, I'll take you right into heaven. Oh, but so many people don't accept Jesus as the only way. And one day when they die, they're going to be like the people in Genesis 6 and 7 that when the flood came, they were left outside of the ark and they died in that water. It won't be water. The next time it will be fire. My friend, the, the door to heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ and it is wide open and He is inviting you to be saved. You see, salvation is the foundation on which we stand. Now, To bring it back to the message and the analogy of the armor of God here, I'm standing right now. What is my foundation? It's my feet. It's my feet. If I were to lose my feet, praise God for prosthetics that enable people who are amputees to be able to walk. But go back before prosthetics. If you lost your feet, you weren't walking anymore. You were you were bound to being in a a chair. You were bound to being in the sitting or laying position. Uh, the foundation. Uh, God, the Bible says that we are uh, to, uh, prop, uh, to, to 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 shod our feet, to protect our feet with the gospel of peace. And that gospel, like our feet, is the foundation of the Christian. Look with me First Corinthians chapter 3, and let's read verses 10 and 11 here. When we get to 11, we're going to read it together. So uh, be ready for that. Verse 10, I'm not going to pause. We're just going to jump. When I get to verse 11, just jump in with me. Ready? Here we go. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed, how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now the beginning of our protection begins with fully understanding the foundation of our faith. There are three groups of people in the room this morning, if you will. There are those who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save them. And that would include our online audience. And I would encourage you to take your life off of the foundation of sand, the shifting sands, uh, and move your life onto the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make Him your rock of ages. Make Him that rock that's underneath you. And boy, the the storms of life come on those whose homes are built on sand, just like they come on those whose homes are built on the foundation of Christ. Let me tell you, the rains of life will either wash your foundation away or make you more appreciative of of the foundation under your feet. Some, some folks here today need to put their faith and trust in Jesus to save them. They need to turn to Christ and believe in Him as their only way to heaven by calling on His name through faith. Others in here today, and I believe this is the majority of you in the room uh, here today, or watching online. You are saved, but you don't know much about your salvation. Um, I, I watch Mike Vara work. Mike Vara is an electrician and a very good electrician at that. And, um, the other day, I walked into a room he was working on, and he had just wired up. He and his crew had just wired up some uh, some lights in a room to a light switch. And the day before, I had walked over and I had flipped that light switch, and the lights didn't come on. The next day, I walked over and I flipped that light, and the light switch came on. You know, I don't have to be an electrician to know how to flip a switch and make lights come on, as long as it's wired correctly, right? In order for you to get saved. All you needed to know how to do was believe in Jesus for salvation. You didn't have to understand all of the doctrines of the Gospel. You just needed to know that you were a sinner on your way to hell, that Jesus died for you, and by faith you needed to call on Him to be saved. Can I just, just shoot straight with you, White Oak Baptist Church? For many of you, your knowledge of salvation has grown nothing since that day. You knew how to get saved, and that's still all you know about salvation. There's a third group of people here today or watching online, and I believe that it's a minority. And those are people who very well know the doctrines of their salvation. If I were to sit you down and ask you, explain to me what justification is, or regeneration is, or sanctification is, would you know how to answer those questions? Have you grown enough in the Lord to be able to answer how the blood atonement works? Why the virgin birth of Christ is important. Why Jesus being part of a triune God... Uh, one but three is important. Do you know why and how these things work? Oh, well, I'm not saying that you've got to go off to Bible school or seminary, but what I am saying is that, Christian, you ought to have enough knowledge of your foundation uh, to be uh, sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. Not just that you're saved, but the whys of your salvation. That way, if someone walks up to you and says, how do I get to heaven? And they have more than one question about it, you're ready and you know how to answer it do not only are you on the right foundation do you understand that foundation number 1 we see our foundation number 2 let's look at our feet our feet look we'll back at Ephesians 6 with me we're going to look at verse 15 when i drink water up here i get nervous it's going to go down the wrong pipe and i'm going to choke to death so or at least have a coughing fit Look at verse 15. The Bible says, And your feet, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Shortly after I got married, I told my wife, I said, I I think you are very beautiful, but there's one part of you that I just don't find attractive. And she... (gasps) And I started like this, and I pointed down. Amen. Your feet, I said. I have never seen attractive feet. Just haven't. I don't care whether you're male or female. I don't care if you're a dog or a cat. Dogs, cats don't have feet; they have paws. Amen. But I don't care. All right. I don't care who it is, where it is. I've never seen good-looking feet. Feet have a purpose to get you from point A to point B. They get you from where you need to go. But look, I don't lay in bed at night and and, and look down at my wife's feet and think, oh man, I am such a lucky guy. (laughs) She's got 10 toes, not 9, not 11, not 12. And man, oh, just, I'm sorry. Feet do nothing for me. In fact, uh, when it comes to feet, uh, some feet are better looking than others or less ugly than others. Let me just tell you right now, from an anatomical standpoint, you will never see me in a pair of sandals. I have the world's ugliest feet. Amen? When I had uh, COVID, uh, for the two weeks I had COVID, I didn't put on any socks and shoes. And I love wearing socks and shoes because I don't have to look at my own feet. When I have uh, shoes on. In fact, even when I'm home, I wear socks up until the moment I go to bed, and then I take off my socks, and my feet immediately go under the covers. And then uh, when my uh, when I get out of the shower, uh, uh, that my or, or if, if if I shower in the morning or when I shower in the morning, as soon as I get out of the shower and drop my feet off, I immediately put socks on. You say, Pastor, that's why your feet are so ugly. I, maybe so, but uh, whatever, they're ugly. I don't want to look at them. Amen feet are ugly. Two weeks I had COVID, I didn't wear any shoes and oftentimes I would get really hot and so I wasn't wearing any socks and I had to stare at my toenails. And I'm not going to go into details because it's disgusting, but let's just say that uh, I have the toenails of someone who's played basketball his whole life and they're cracked and they're, anyway, amen, uh, they're ugly. And um, uh, when I was a little boy, my parents were, were, were poor oftentimes and I grew fast and uh, I would outgrow my shoes. How many of you have children that just seem to outgrow shoes? And no matter how many, how you buy them shoes, and it seems like the next week they need, need a new pair of shoes, right? Because they're just their toes are starting to poke out the front already. And you think yeah, you've had two inches, and you're already at the end. What's going on here? And my parents, my, my dad, I'd say tell my dad I need new shoes, and he'd say, "Hang in there, buddy. We'll get you some." And I'm, I knew that meant he had no intentions of buying me new shoes. And, you know, I'd put my shoes on and my feet would hurt all day because my toes are at the end. And now my toes literally are crooked. They've been this way because I, they became deformed when I was a little kid because I was always outgrowing my shoes and couldn't seem to get shoes that worked. And um, uh, But feet are not the most attractive thing to look at. But the Bible uh, tells us, uh, the Bible has a little bit to say about feet. And you would think that would be a body part that wouldn't be discussed much, uh, if at all. But the Bible has some things to say. It Turn over to Isaiah chapter 52 in your Bibles uh, this morning. Now, um, uh, literally, feet may not be uh, attractive. But the Bible does say that figuratively or spiritually, you can have attractive feet. And that your feet can be, the Bible uses the word, beautiful. Beautiful. How do you have beautiful feet? Feet, uh, spiritually speaking. Look at Isaiah 52 and look at verse number 7. The Bible says, How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of Him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Romans ten fifteen references back to Isaiah fifty two seven, and it says this and how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written, again referring back to Isaiah fifty two seven, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. I look at our world today, and oftentimes in my prayer closet or my time praying. I'm brought to a point of tears. I see the anger and the strife and the division and the violence and all the murders and rape and racism and brokenness in our world. I look at how our country has become uncivil in so many ways. My heart is broken. How can our country, how could have our country gotten to a place where we've become so nasty with each other? Can I tell you how? God's messengers of peace have grown silent. Brother Mahoney preached for us last week, did a fantastic job. One of the points he drew out several times in his preaching, was how can you love, how can you reach someone who's different than you if you don't show them love? Someone may not agree with your political viewpoint. They may not agree with you uh, from a life philosophy standpoint. Don't dehumanize them. You know, that's what the political engine in this country wants us to do. It wants us to dehumanize each other. Someone, uh, someone, there's, this, there's some person in this country today that could not agree with you less. They could not be more opposite than you philosophically in every single way. Can I, tell, can I say this to you this morning? God loves them just as much as He loves you. Are you preaching a message of vitriol with your lifestyle? Do you have wrath and strife that drip off of you? When you come in contact with someone who disagrees with you? Or are your feet taking you places so you can publish peace? Peace. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to become uh, a marshmallow or a a bowl of jello and uh, a spineless and that you give in and just agree with everybody everywhere. No, that's not what we're called to be. But God does call us, while we are to stand on truth, God does call us to do so with a disposition that's loving and kind, and Christ-like. The Bible says about those who publish peace, that proclaim salvation, He says spiritually their feet are beautiful. Why? Because when they show up in a place, boy, there's a calmness, there's a serenity, there's a belief that this person's coming, and with them they're bringing Peace. Let me give you quickly here a letter A and a letter B. Letter A, notice, unblemished feet. Unblemished feet. Back in Ephesians 6, verse 15, the Bible says, "...and your feet..." Shod Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. If we're going to keep our foundation under us spiritually, boy, our feet need to be shod or protected or unblemished by this very gospel that we preach and proclaim. Boy, I believe many Christians today uh, operate in a way that's very hypocritical because they have believed in Jesus Christ for salvation and they have accepted His peace laid on their account, but yet they go about and they publish strife everywhere they go and they're nasty and unkind everywhere they go and uh, listen we have to wake up every day and we need to revisit in our mind and heart the gospel of Jesus Christ how he has saved your soul if he has done so and you need to shod or protect your feet with the gospel of peace I think about what Jesus did for me on that cross so many years ago and when I When I slow down for five minutes and take the time to think about the peace that God's laid on my account and I dwell on that, boy, I tell you what, things sure seem to get under my skin a lot less that day. I have to drive down Highway 8 every day to get to work. Every day. Can I tell you, people on Highway 8 are crazy. Um... If you're coming south on on Highway 8, you you go past the the exit there uh, to get on 34, and then you get to exit 14. I believe that's uh, going to Shelton there, River Road exit. And then you get up to exit 13 where Bridgeport Avenue is, and then the highway goes up, and then it breaks out into three lanes. And when it breaks out into three lanes, I think some people think it breaks out into a speedway. How many of you have seen folks get in that far right lane and they are driving a hundred miles an hour up what's supposed to be the slow lane? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you do that, don't you? Yeah? We're going to have an altar call in a few minutes. You need to get down here and get your heart right. Amen? Pastor, have you ever done that? We're not talking about me this morning. Amen? That's besides the point. I've never done a hundred. Maybe a little under a hundred, but never a hundred. Amen? But you know, you're driving down the road and uh, someone cuts you off. They're driving crazy. And if you haven't walked with God and focused on the peace of God in your life, boy, you can become angry real quick. You ever send an email at work that was just ignored or a text message to a friend that was ignored and you, you, you felt strife building up in your heart? You ever had a spouse mistreat you or a friend betray you and you felt anger and frustration building up in your heart. You say, Pastor, how do I publish peace when I live in a world of strife? You do so by focusing on the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it's done for you. You see, peace begins on the inside. And it's an, listen, this is, this is as important as anything I'm going to say to the Christian today. Peace is a result of internal stimuli, not external circumstances. Many of us are relying on how everyone else treats us to be peaceful. My friend, every day somebody's probably going to mistreat you in some way. That's going to be the determining factor on how peaceful you are. You're never going to find it. Internal stimuli comes from my walk with the Lord. Unblemished feet, letter B, notice, unified feet. Unified feet. The Bible says there, and your feet shod with the preparation of, of the gospel of peace. Unified feet. Boy, I want my heart and my walk and my steps to be in line with what God would have me to do and where God would have me to go and the person God would have me to be. Oftentimes, where we go is a good indicator of uh, where we are in our walk, our walk with the Lord. Are your feet shod with peace? Do your feet take you to a place of peace? Or are you constantly walking in to problems and strife now in, in, in the, just the role of being a pastor and having contact with so many people. I wish every relationship that I ever had was always peaceful. Sometimes uh, I get uh, into relationships with people through the church uh, where there's strife and there's a rub and uh, there's, uh, there's bickering and uh, frustration uh, and, and there's hurt uh, between uh, uh, within that relationship. And uh, One day I was really having a tough time as pastor. I was having a tough time. A particular uh, person... who who used to attend here years ago uh, was given and don't try to figure out who it was amen Uh, but I was uh, having having a tough time with this particular church member and uh, I was really uh, uh, just frustrated and and going through a a difficulty with that and and I was talking to Angela about it and Angela gave me some good advice she said you know uh, 90% of the relationships you have are peaceful if not more she said 90% of of the relationships that person has are not peaceful If if the large majority of your relationships are drama, strife, drama, strife, drama, strife, maybe the problem isn't everyone else. Maybe the problem is you. Are your feet shod with peace? Do you take peace with you everywhere you go? Are you a, as Matthew 5 lays out, a peacemaker or a strife maker? You see, our feet need to be unified. Not that we're walking with coordination on our own two feet. Our feet need to be unified with the Prince of Peace in Heaven. Boy, our walk needs to be in line with His walk. We need to be walking in synchrony. Our foundation, number two, our feet. Number three, notice our fruit. Our fruit. Notice first that peace is part of the fruit brought about by the Holy Spirit. In our lives. Many of you in here are familiar with Galatians 5. 22 and 23. The fruits of the Spirit. The Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. What's that third one? Peace. 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 And then listen to the rest of these. They imply peace. Long-suffering. That's a patient spirit. Gentleness comes from someone who's peaceful. Goodness comes from someone who is a peaceful heart. Faith. Meekness. Temperance against such, there is no law. At least not yet. Give the government long enough, they'll pass laws against those too. Amen? Um, uh, We are to be people of peace. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. I like to take the Christian life out of the the theoretical and put it into the practical. We think of the Holy Spirit of God and we get this mystical thought of, oh, He's this mystical thing out in space. Well, let me just set the record straight. First and foremost, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is a real person. He is male. And He moves in and indwells the believer. The Holy Spirit is... When we read Galatians 23, the fruit of the Spirit is... What what the Bible is saying is that these nine things, these nine things make up the characteristics of the Spirit of God. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, those that describes the person of the Spirit of God. I'm just trying to make it super simple for you today. The Holy Spirit of God is not this mystical uh, 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 force in, in the universe that uh, we can happen upon if we're lucky. No, the Spirit of God moves in and indwells you. Here is the question. Is He in control of your emotions or are you in control of your emotions? Because if the Spirit of God, you're yielding to the Spirit of God, and He is in control of your emotions, then guess what? He's going to replace lust with love. He's going to replace happiness with joy. And strife with joy. He's going to take all of Satan's counterfeits, and He's going to displace them with peace. Peace. Many Christians are only peaceful if there's nothing wrong going on in their life at that moment. But my friend, when the Spirit of God is in charge, let the world uh, rage on around me. Let problems rage on around me. Let the storms of life howl. The peace of God rules and reigns in my heart. And people look at you and say, how are you so peaceful through such a difficult time? And the answer is, it's not me being peaceful. It's the Spirit of God working His peace in my life. What fruit is bore on your tree? You see, I can take a glass, or rather I can take a a cup, a dark uh, a cup, uh, uh, not a glass, but a cup that you can't look through uh, and see. I could take that cup and I could set it right here on the edge of this table uh, and it could be half full. None of you in here would know what the inside of that cup looks like. You'd see the cup and I could tell you that the outside of the cup is clean and shiny and, and pretty, and uh, but the inside of the cup has acid, and rain, uh, uh, acid in it and, 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 and dirt in it and grime in it. I could set another cup over here, same exact type of cup, and it's clean on the outside. Outside and looks great on the outside, but on the inside is water. And you know what? As long as those two cups are at rest and they're not bothered, boy, they both look great. And that's like me and you. You may be awful and rotten on the inside, but on the outside, as long as life is going great and there are no problems and everything is smooth, you come into church and you smile and everything's great, but let a problem come and bump into the table where that cup's set on. And you know what? What's on the inside of the cup is going to spill on the outside of the cup. Someone cuts you off in traffic tomorrow morning on your way to work. If you're calling them names and yelling at them, what's on the inside of the cup has just revealed itself on the outside of the cup. How about you pray for the person that cuts you off? I'm preaching to myself right there. You know, I don't have a pastor bumper sticker on my car for a good reason. Amen? (laughs) All right, one quick real story. I, I, I'm chasing a rabbit on purpose. This is hilarious. Three years ago on a Sunday evening, I was on my way to church. I live up on the top of a hill, and I've got to come down this steep, this steep incline uh, to get uh, to the highway. And it's probably about uh, three-quarters of a mile to a mile long, this steep incline. And if you don't ride your brake all the way down the hill you are going to speed. If you just put your car in neutral and let it roll, you'd probably get up to 45, 50 miles an hour before you got to the bottom of the hill. Speed limit is 25, and so no one goes 25 down this hill. At least I don't go 25 down this hill, and I'm everybody, amen? And so I'm, I'm rolling down the hill. I'm probably doing 35 or 40, and we're trying to get to church. I think we had drama practice at the time for a, a play we were putting on here at the church. So I was trying to hurry up and get here, and lo and behold, I got pulled over. Now... I've only been pulled over like two or three times the whole time I've lived in Connecticut. And that's not because I'm a good driver. That's because, well, it, it's hard to get pulled over in this state, right? Let's just be real. But this officer pulls me over, and I've got my suit and tie on, and Angela's in her pretty dress, and the kids in the back are all dressed up, and we're on our way to church. And lo and behold, the church owns the car, and so it's registered to White Oak Baptist Church. The officer comes up, and he says, um, license and registration. And I'm in a suit, and I give him my license and my registration, and he goes back, and he's sitting in his car, and I'm thinking, oh, man, this is so embarrassing. And uh, he gets out, and he comes back over, and he hands me my license and my registration. He looks at me and said, are you the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church? <laughs> and I hung my head low, and I said, yes, sir, I am. And he said, i gotta, I got to tell you this. And this is word for word what he said. He said, I cannot give a man of the cloth a ticket on the day of the Lord. I said, Sir, I'll be praying for you all the way to church. He said, Slow it down, sir, and have a good day. <laughs> I'm glad I took that diversion. Um, are you peaceful? Do you have peace that evidence itself in your life? Now many people mistakenly believe that the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Christian. Can I tell you they're not the same thing? Take your Bibles over to Proverbs chapter eleven with me this morning. We'll look at the last verse in the chapter. Proverbs chapter number eleven. You don't mind, pick that Bible up for me, James. James, pick that Bible up for me. Let's be respectful with God's word, please. Proverbs chapter eleven. We're going to look at the last verse in the chapter here in just a moment. The fruit of the Spirit are these, these emotional attributes, are these character attributes that evidence themselves in our lives. But my friend, um, that's not the fruit of the Christian. That's the fruit that comes about by being yielded to the Spirit of God. You see, the fruit of a Christian is more Christians. Look at verse 30. The, let's read it together. Ready? Here we go. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, And he that winneth souls is wise. He that winneth souls is wise. Back in Isaiah 52, we saw that beautiful feet of them that proclaim the gospel of peace. That proclaimeth peace. That proclaimeth the gospel. Proclaimeth salvation. Um, uh, If we're going to lead people to peace, boy, we must begin by leading people to the prince of peace. Years ago, I was working in... Uh, church in Maryland as an assistant pastor. On that particular day, uh, everyone was off except for me and the bookkeeper. My office was on complete opposite ends of the building from hers. Her name was Beth, and uh, Beth Scharf called my office, and she said, there's someone here that needs a pastor. Please come quick. And so I thought, boy, there must be some big problem. And so I'm, I was brand new in church ministry. only It was probably 20, 26, 27 years old at the most. And I uh, ran downstairs, and there was a woman standing there uh, in the, the office, and uh, her name was Rika. Rika was her name, and she looked as though she was being possessed by a demon. And she was there with her mother and her uncle, and they were both very uh, afraid and nervous and didn't know what to do. And and I said, "What's going on?" And they said, "We think Rika here is demon possessed. Can you help us?" The hair on the back of my neck stood up, and I thought, "Let me go back in my office and pray for about an hour, and I'll be back." but I didn't have that luxury, and so I took them into a neighboring office right there, and I sat down with Rika. My heart was racing 100 miles an hour. Just the thought of having a demon-possessed person possibly right in front of me, uh, I I was terrified. I was brand new to church ministry, and I didn't didn't know if I was going to handle this situation correct. I thought of that story in Acts where they're trying to cast the demon out, and the demon leaps on them. and you know, uh, uh, injures them. And I thought, I don't want that to happen to me. We're actually going to be looking at that story tonight, come back to church tonight uh, out of the book of Acts. But I'm thinking all this and my heart's racing hundred miles an hour. You say, well, pastor, how did you handle that? I opened the Bible to the book of Romans chapter three, and I began right down the Romans road. I begin to tell Rika and her uncle and mother how she needed a, a, a savior because she was a sinner. And I went right down the plan of salvation and I watched as Rika, who had not spoken in three days to anyone, who had these face contortions going on, I watched as her face began to soften. And Rika sitting in that chair, when I got down to the very end, a tear began to escape out of her cheek as I went over the story of the Passion of Christ. And for the first time in three days, Rika first time in three days, Rika spoke when she prayed the prayer to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Immediately after she asked Christ to save her, her face relaxed. She began to speak freely again. Did I exercise a demon? I don't think so. I think Rika was just under a whole lot of stress over some traumatic things that had happened in her life. But I can tell you this her heart was filled with strife and variance. And the gospel of peace set her free. I don't have beautiful feet, I've talked about my feet. But I can tell you this, spiritually that day, my feet were beautiful because I proclaimed the gospel of peace. Every now and then, we'll have a couple wash up on the front door of our church who doesn't attend here. They're having major marriage problems. Marriage is on the rocks. and I'd say probably eight, nine, ten times in my five years of pastoring, this has happened. I have a couple come sit in my office. They're not part of our church. and You say, well, Pastor, where do you begin with a couple who's on the brink of divorce? I begin by going over the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll see the husband and wife bow their head and put their faith in Jesus Christ to save them. And you know what? Immediately they're introduced to the counselor of peace within their marriage. You see, this world is filled with hurt and pain. The answer... Please hear what I'm about to say. The answer to America's problems is not found through a political office There is no political Savior coming to save America. The answer to America's problems is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need Christians today to pick up their Bible and proclaim the Prince of Peace to the world around them. But don't you start proclaiming the Prince of Peace while you're living a life of strife and variance. Because then your message is that of a hypocrite. Oh, I'm not saying you have to have every duck in a row, every thing in order. Your life doesn't have to be perfect. But my friend, you need to make sure your lifestyle is proof of the message on your lips. Number one, we see our foundation. Number two, our feet. Number three, our fruit. Number four, and lastly, let's notice our formula. Our formula. Write this formula down there in your notes. Here it is. It's a word-math problem. I know we don't like throwing letters in math, right? But throw these, write this down. Preparation. Plus opportunity equals success. Preparation plus opportunity equals success. Ephesians chapter six, verse fifteen says, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Proverbs thirty, twenty five says, The ants are a people not strong strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. Turn over to Luke chapter twelve with me in your Bibles. Luke twelve, verse number forty two. Quickly, if you would, we're uh, want to wrap this up here shortly. Luke twelve, we're gonna read from forty two down through forty seven. I'm almost done. Luke twelve, forty two. I'll begin reading here momentarily. You can catch up when you arrive. We'll read down through verse forty seven. Luke twelve forty two the Bible says who then is that faithful and wise steward? whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is the servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if, that that servant say in his heart, Look here, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants of maidens, and to eat and drink and to be drunken, The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes." Everyone in here knows that attends here regularly. Everyone in here knows that they have an obligation to proclaim the good tidings of peace. But I think many of us think, well, I've got time. I've got time. I'll I'll learn to do that in another season of life. And then one season of life passes to another, and the excuses keep coming, and we never get around to it. My friend, one day Jesus is coming back. My friend, one day you are going to stand one-on-one with God. You won't have your pastor. You won't have your husband or wife or your mom or dad, your brother or sister, your life group leader. It's going to be you and God. And He's going to want to know what you did with the gospel of peace? Did you treat it like a collector's item and stow it away? Or did you play the music of the gospel of peace for the world to hear you? I finished the message this morning with an illustration that is going to involve much of the front and rear of the auditorium. For our live stream audience, if we could zoom the camera out so they could get an image, that would be great. Uh, Let's see here. Um, Brother Sean and Brother Bob could you two help me this morning could you two guys come up here this is an illustration some of you may have seen before but boy, I want to make an example thank you Brother Bob if you'd go stand over there by that door and from the distance from here to that door that direction if you'd go stand in that middle aisle back that way about the same distance I'm going to give these two guys a name we'll call uh, Brother Brother Hyatt here we'll call him uh, Preparation we'll call uh, Brother uh, Sean here, we'll call him opportunity, all right? So we have preparation and we have opportunity. Uh, We're going to have you stay still. If you just walk right here to this coffee table, opportunity comes along for all of us all of the time. If we don't prepare ourselves, then we're going to miss out on that opportunity and we're not going to have success. By the way, this can be applied across life in so many ways. This is not just... A spiritual application there are many others other applications okay going back if you would to the same place very good uh now i want now i want the two of you to walk toward each other and i want you to meet right here at, at the lord's supper table okay both both of you walk he's preparing himself and he's becoming more and more prepared and lo and behold the harder he prepares the more likely he is to meet opportunity preparation you two shake hands you wash your hands this morning? <laughs> All right, don't touch your face or your tongue or any of that stuff. Amen. Did you wash your hands this morning? I know him. So you gotta, you know, you. I'm, te- I'm teasing. <laughs> Preparation plus opportunity equals success. Now, go back where you are, where you were a moment ago, and let me walk through an example here, if I could. You go back over here, brother Bob. Um, every single day. Opportunity to, sh- to share peace with a hurting world comes, comes walking by our way. Every day there are hurting people around us, and we have opportunities to help people, but most of us are so self-absorbed and so self-focused that when these opportunities come along, we don't even realize it. Preparation, uh, we're unprepared, and so these opportunities come along. And occasionally, we're over here, and we're unprepared, and uh, we see that there's someone who has a need. There's someone who has problems. There's someone that needs the, our gospel message that our church proclaims. But because our hearts are not prepared, we have no idea how to help them. And that opportunity walks right on by us. Why is it... Listen. Why is it that Pastor Lejeune and so many other preachers across America tell you to read your Bible and pray so that when opportunity to help others come along, you're ready? Why is it that Pastor Lejeune and so many other preachers across America tell you to not only read it, but to meditate on it, mentally chew on it, to ruminate on the truths of God, so that you're prepared when opportunity comes along to help others? Why is it that Pastor Lejeune and so many other preachers across America tell you to study your Bible and know what you believe, and know why you believe it, so that when someone comes along and they have a question, you're not standing over there stuttering? but you're ready because your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Hey, you got your gospel shoes on and you're ready to proclaim good news to the opportunity in front of you. Oh, my friend, I look at our broken country today and I don't blame a political party I don't blame Hollywood. I don't blame the music industry. I don't blame social media. I don't blame any part of our school system, public university or whatever. I don't blame any of that. You know who I blame? I blame Christians because they're unprepared. We're just not ready to tell people the truth. We're not able to help people in their time of need. And my friend, in your time of need, you need to be ready to tell the world the good news of Jesus Christ. That He lived for them. He died for them. And he rose again from the dead. And when we're prepared, come on, when we're prepared and opportunities come our way, you've got a co-worker with a hurting marriage. You, you, you have a, a person sitting in front of you in a mechanic shop that's going through a hard time and, and is clearly struggling. You have a neighbor who's uh, having all-out war with their family. You know what you're ready to do? You're ready to step in and help them with the gospel of peace. Are your feet shod with the preparation of the Gospel of Peace. Take a seat, guys. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. If Jesus were to come back today, could you stand before God and say, I did my part. At least I attempted to do my part. Boy, I worked toward doing my part. I I did my best to have the Holy Spirit of God and His peace reign within me. And and, and And I worked hard to share the good news of Jesus with others. Or would you be left wanting? I know this. I don't want to stand before God one day. The God who died for my sins on the cross. And have my head hang low because I didn't do my part. God's not looking for you to be perfect, Christian. He's looking for you to be faithful. First and foremost, how many of you here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time of my life I put my faith and trust in Jesus to be my Savior. I know I'm going to heaven, not because of who I am or what I've done, but because of my faith in Jesus to save me. If I died, I know I'm going to heaven. Pastor, here's my hand of testimony. that If that's you, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? You know you're going to heaven. Amen. I see many hands. I don't see every hand, but I see many hands. Is there one here today that would say, Pastor Lejeune, if I were to die today, I don't know, or I, maybe you do know, but I'm I'm not certain that I would go to heaven when I die. Pastor, I, I, if I were to die, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. With your head bowed and eyes closed, I, I don't want to embarrass you. I don't intend to embarrass you. That's why I've asked every head bowed and eye to be closed. But would you be honest before me and God this morning and just say, I don't know that I would spend eternity in heaven. Pastor Lejeune, would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just hold up your hand right where you are? Be honest with yourself. I see one hand. I see two hands. I see three hands. Is there another? I just don't know where I'd spend eternity if I died. I don't know that Jesus is my Savior. If you raise your hand, let me just encourage you this morning to turn to Christ and ask Him to give you the gift of eternal life that was purchased through the cross. If you're sitting next to someone that raised their hand, or rather if, you're, if you raise your hand and someone around you, you know, and you know they know the gospel. Boy, turn to them this, this morning and have them help you with that. In a moment, we're going to have an old-fashioned invitation. We're going to have everyone stand up with their heads bowed and eyes closed. And if you'd like to know more about how to go to heaven, we'll have someone standing down front here who can help you to make that decision for Christ. How many of you here today would say, Pastor of the journey, in some way or another, this morning the Lord spoke to me. I don't have my gospel shoes strapped on quite like I should. Pastor, pray for me that I will let the Holy Spirit of God rule and reign in my heart, and I'll be quick to share good news of Jesus with others. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Pastor, pray for me. This is an area I need to work on. The Prince of Peace is the answer and we need to proclaim Him to the world around us. We need to model Him in our lifestyle. Lord, help us this morning. Help us this morning with our heart's attitude. Lord, as You've worked on hearts, as You've spoken to people in the pews, may they make decisions accordingly. Lord, those who raise their hand signifying they don't know that they would spend eternity in heaven. May they get that matter settled today. May they put their faith and trust in You. Lord, work in our midst this morning during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name.